everyone in podcast listening land. I'm Karen Devaney. And I'm Ann Barner. And, and we're, we're sisters. Welcome to Sugarcoated Murder, where we'll discuss and probably inappropriately laugh about and comment on yep, one of our favorite subjects, murder. murder. Oh, and we love to bake. And why not combine our two favorite subjects? Baking and killers. Karen Devaney. Hello. And Varner, what you doing in my kitchen? I today I am making a Victorian sandwich. Hmm. So we'll be behind this pot of tea with it. <laughs> well, you know when we when we are doing our podcast, we're always drinking our spot of tea. Well, I don't know if you this place or not, but you're the only one. That oh, that's the tea. true. I'm right. the only one that drinks I'm the tea. I'm the one that makes. Makes the tea yes, you. you do, and you do such I a good job. I would never want to take that job from tea. you. Yes, and so the reason that I'm making this, or the way that we came upon this recipe, is that as you know, we are completely addicted to British baking shows. Yes, God, we love that great <laughs> British baking show. We've watched everything that they've put out on Netflix. And, and hello, can I get one of those ovens? Oh, I love oh those gosh. ovens. Why they, don't we have those? We, there's a lot of things they have that we don't have because I love their refrigerators. Their refrigerators are super cool, but just the oven where the door scoots in. Oh, it just makes so much oh, more yeah. sense in life. I love it. Yeah, I'm love sure it. they exist, but just outside of our price range, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are people out there saying, wait, I've got that. Yeah, exactly. Well, damn it. That was in my old house. <laughs> yeah, that ain't us. So anyway, um, one, so the tradition is that my sister and I do not give each other birthday presents anymore. What we do is we give each other, we are in charge of making the dessert for their birthday. Yes. Whatever they request. And you requested this Victorian sponge. A Victorian sponge cake, please. Yes. So it's a Victorian sandwich. I don't know why I call it a sandwich, but it's because I guess you make a cake sandwich. I don't know. But it's, you make a Victorian sponge, two layers, and then um, one layer is covered in, the first layer is covered in jam. Yes. And um, I cheat. I do not make my own jam. Why, why do you have to tell people that? Well, just because when they get the recipe, they're going to be like, that hussy, when yeah. did she make the jam? Yeah. I buy really high-end jam today. I've bought some wild blueberry jam. Because I love blueberry. Blueberry jam. Blueberry anything. And I love wild blueberries. And so I'm going to use that as a jam. And then you put like fruit on top of that layer. And you put some homemade buttercream. Or you could use whipped cream. But that sounds so silly to me when you could make your own buttercream. And then you put the next layer on. And you put more fruit on it. And then you dust it with sugar. It's very pretty little cake. So we're getting protein from eggs. We're getting our dairy in. Yes. From our fruit. We're getting our fruit. We're getting fruit in. And whatever food group butter is in, we're getting oh, plenty of that. Because there's butter geez. in the buttercream and butter in the cake and nothing's butter than butter. Butter is the best. <laughs> There's so, nothing better than butter. Gives you a really good skin. Oh, yes. So anyway, that's what I'm going to be doing in the kitchen as you, and it's, it sounds complicated. It is actually very easy. It's just, you just got to follow it step by step. Yeah. Remind me to tell y'all one day about the recipe she then asked me to make her for her birthday. 
which had no less than 42 steps. I know, but I knew you were up to the challenge, and you freaking rocked I it. I killed it. I you was really determined. Did. You did such a good job. Don't give me a challenge, lady. I know. Well, I knew that you could meet the challenge. Don't if you try had to given show me, me a good time. Don't, don't give me a challenge, because I'll go find somebody to make it for me that to is, pay them. That's very true. That's very, that, is the tr that is a true statement. Mm -hmm. It's who I am, girl. I understand. All right, so what kind of a murder do you have to oh do? It's a murder where people die. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. It's serious business, too. Aw. So this takes place in March of 2009. Okay. <clears throat> Early in the morning, um, actually on the 30th of March, a frantic call comes into 911 dispatchers in Tazewell, Virginia. Oh, Tazewell. Um. A frantic employee from the Pizza Plus. In That's where the Tasmanian Devil is from, right? No. Oh, sorry. No. So, uh, a frantic employee, Sugar, frantic, frantic employee has called. Hello, my name is Frantic. I'm Frantic. I'm working at the Pizza Plus. There's oh, a Pizza, pizza plus. plus. Yep, and it's in Claypool Hill, Virginia. I've never heard of Claypool Hill, Virginia, and I'm well, Virginian. It's up close to Bristol. It's in the That's Rivers why. Mountains. That's why. Say no more. <laughs> yeah. The employee had walked in to open up the restaurant, discovered another employee, Valerie Looney, laying in a pool of blood. Oh, no. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. I just cleared my throat on my podcast. You did. That's so rude. Please um, forgive her. Please forgive me. That's disgusting. Yeah. All right. So, police arrive, and they find Valerie in the kitchen. She had been bludgeoned to death, and her throat had been cut. As a matter of fact, it had been cut so deeply that her head had almost <gasps> been cut off. Oh, God, that's really bad. Upon further investigation, they find Valerie's husband, Harvey, just outside the back door of the restaurant. That was not a gong. It was actually the boy. Listen, I'm telling a serious I, story. I know, I'm These sorry. people have I died. Want people to think that be I gonged serious. the dinner bell. You just need to be serious. I am. Okay. Anywho, poor Harvey, outside the back door, also dead, also has a cutthroat. Oh, gosh. Harvey's the husband, by uh, the way. The girl that's dead? Of Valerie, yes. Okay. Um, so, and March 30th would have been Valerie and Harvey's 29th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. I know. They're really in it to win it. In it to win it, but super sad. It is quite sad. Yeah. So, police start to search and, um, see if they can figure out what happened. Uh, they find there's blood on the fire extinguisher. Oh. And they determined that that was the weapon used to bludgeon poor Valerie. Um, and then they also noticed that someone had mopped the floor in the kitchen. There was a mop. I didn't do it right. Oh, my keep God. Keep going. Just you know going. what, lady? We're Listen. trying to do a podcast here. Can you just stop screwing up the kitchen? Just I got a minute. It. Just keep going. Oh, stop right. being so distracted by me. sakes. Anywho, poor Harvey. Harvey. Any, no, there was a mop. Somebody has mopped the floor. Oh, so there are gosh. no footprints. And they've left the mop by the back door. Because they had to mop as they were backing out. Seems like it. But there are bloody handprints on the mop. Oh. Ooh, don't, don't, don't. Dumbass. Right. Um, so they, the investigators say, let's see what this person that made the 911 call has to say about what she thinks might happen. So they sit down with her, her name is Michelle, and they ask her, you know, is there anybody that you can think of that maybe the loonies would have not been friends with? 
And she mentions... Wait, that their name is Looney? Her last name is Looney. I thought you were saying, like, do you know any Loonies that no. would have done this? No, my gosh. No. Sorry. <clears throat> this okay, is going to be really, really long murder, people. I woke up with attention deficit disorder this morning, so I just tell. give me a break. I'm watching you struggle <laughs> so badly in the kitchen. It's not going to go it's well. Not, no. It's fine. No, it's because fine. she has insisted, though the recipe does not say to, she has insisted upon sifting. Listen, the I don't like sugar. in my sugar. <laughs> I don't like it. Okay, now. anyway, I'm trying not to be distracted by the crazy in the kitchen. So, um, Michelle, the employee from the Pizza Plus, mentions that there is a guy that used to, that came in, his name was Homer Smith, and he would come in and talk to Valerie, and Valerie had mentioned that he was starting to scare her. Oh, wow. And the uh-huh. staff at the Pizza Plus suspected that there was some illegal activity going on um, next door at the car wash where Homer worked. Wow. And they thought maybe... They were selling some drugs. There was some sort of drug activity going on at the car wash. Okay. At the car wash. So, um, can we just sing that song for a minute? I'm trying to tell the tragic story of somebody. It is death. tragic, but it's so depressing. I feel like I need to lighten the mood. At the car wash. God. I don't know the rest of the words. At the car wash, you. Yo, that's the words. <laughs> that's my words. Right, I'd rather so listen to the murder. The next thing the detectives do is they go and talk to Chris Looney. He's the only child of Harvey and Valerie. Chris was in his late 20s and lived at home with his parents. He and his wife had recently split up, and he was trying to get back on his feet. Chris told them that the night of the murder, he was at home watching TV, and detectives, detectives asked if he was um, concerned when his parents didn't come home that night, and he told them that they had planned to go out of town to Gatlinburg, Oh, mm-hmm. yes, I have not yet been, but I've wished to. Um, to celebrate their anniversary. So he hadn't expected to see them. Oh. When they asked him if he could think of anybody that would want to cause harm to his parents, he told them that there was some, someone that worked at the Pizza Plus named Brian Lee. And he knew for sure that Brian Lee is the one that did it. How did he know? He just did. Brian Lee delivered pizzas for the Pizza Plus. Okay. Chris said he didn't get along with Valerie. And and several employees had mentioned that Valerie was strict. Followed the rules. Yeah, because she's the boss and she owns Maybe. the joint. Well, she doesn't own it. She doesn't, they don't own it. Okay, fine. It just worked there. I never once in my story said that they were the owners of the pizza plus. I was trying to give them props. <laughs> no, she just ruled with an iron fist. Not good for her. So, um... Detectives bring in old Brian for questioning, and Brian says, yeah, I didn't really get along with Valerie. She was, you know, kind of strict or whatever. Um, he had been there the night before, and he had been the closer. So he cleaned the kitchen, mopped the floor, left the floor out, uh, the mop out back where he normally does, left, went to hang out with friends. So they're like, okay. They get the name of the friends that he hung out with, and move him on his way. So, they move on um, next to question Homer Smith. Homer is the one that works at the car wash. At the car wash. At the car wash. Yes, Homer Smith at the car wash. At the car wash doing the drugs. Yes, illegal activities. Right, 
he told police that he had washed his car the night before and then he parked it at the pizza plus but he never got out of the car oh. he just sat there and then left okay surveillance video confirms that homer did in fact go through the car wash and sit in the parking lot of the pizza plus but never get out hundreds of tips came in about the murders Brian Lee, Brian Lee, I'm sorry, the pizza delivery driver was cleared. Homer Smith was cleared. They had dead end after dead end. They had oh. more dead ends than my sister at six weeks before she gets a haircut. Oh gosh, I got a lot of dead ends right now. Detectives go back. Um, they go back over the crime scene and they look over the autopsy report. They find out that Valerie had defensive wounds on her body. She'd fought back with whoever it was that murdered her. Harvey didn't have defensive wounds. In fact, the autopsy reported um, that he had some bruising around his neck, but he had actually died of a heart attack. Um, and the autopsy also noted that both his throat, that his throat had been cut after he had died. Um, so Valerie died from blunt force trauma to the brain. Okay. Um, and her throat was slit too. Her throat was cut, but it was it was. But after. Death. It wasn't after she died. Oh, so it was while she was still living. Right. Not like Harvey. Right. Okay. So it's her husband. Yeah. And their last name is Looney. Yes. Okay. I got Married it. twenty nine years. Yes. Or twenty eight point twenty eight years three hundred sixty four days. Oh, gosh. Well, I guess you're still married even after you die. Any, I think you are. Anywho. The investigation comes to a complete stop. This was in 2009. It isn't until 2012 that the case is assigned to an investigator with a fresh set of eyes. Okay. His only job is to go through that file and try to figure out anything that would help him solve that case. Oh, so this Claypool Hill, Virginia, is yes. the total, the town is four miles. It's oh, a wow. four mile wide long town that's it that's it so the people that live there are just beside themselves that these police officers couldn't figure out who killed these people um i mean my god there are only so many people in the town right i would think but so, it could have been out of towners could have been could have been somebody moving through um luckily this detective his name was detective hall had been to a um, FBI seminar in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh, I know where that is. And there was an agent from the Behavioral Science Unit <gasps> that had given a presentation on profiling. And that's what really interested me Mind because Hunter. we've been watching Mindhunter and that's what they do. This That was like the beginning of the Behavioral Science Unit. Let me correct Every, you. We've watched all the Mindhunters. We've watched them all. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for season three. We are patiently waiting. Not patiently. Anywho. Um, Detective Hall decides to send the information that he has in the file to the Behavioral Science Unit at the FBI to see if they could come up with a profile for the killer. The profile they came back with says the killer would be male, between 20 and 30 years old, with a high school education, but no more. <clears throat> oh my God, I just hurt my throat again. Um, I, every time you do that, I'm going to throw something at you. Yes, make sure it's food. <laughs> no, because you'll just be constantly clearing your throat. <laughs> he would be someone familiar with the um, operation of the restaurant. 
and he would have had a personal issue with the victims, especially Valerie, because the killer had so, shown so much rage in her killing. Right. November 12th, Detective Paul goes back to talk to Chris. Um, Chris, who you'll remember is the son. Yes, I do remember that now, but you said it. So he goes back and he says, you know, we're, I, I've taken over the investigation and I'm going to find your parents' killers. Oh, my gosh. He goes back. Detective Paul goes back to his office and starts talking to some of the investigators who had done um, the work originally. Okay. And he says, you know, I had a conversation with Chris Looney, but he did re acted really strange. He was only given yes or no answers. He was not invested at all in the conversation. He was acting loony. He was acting loony. Because mm -hmm. his name is Looney. That's right. He can't help himself. So they, he says, is there any information you can give me? What was the inter initial interview like with Chris? And they did mention that they had asked him to take a polygraph test. Initially, he had taken it, and he had just barely passed. He wow. Was, he was borderline. 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 Um, Do I need to break into my Madonna? No, no. Okay. Please, God. I don't um, feel like this is a good opportunity to do that. No. Is, didn't you no. do No. <laughs> I think we already talked about how you weren't going to do that. Oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to say right. anymore. Shoot. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, cue music in your head. Right. And the Madonna. Borderline. Oh, right. Okay. So Detective Hall starts talking to other family members about Chris. And they find out, he finds out that Valerie and Chris had hit a big old bump in their relationship. Chris had actually assaulted Valerie on more than one occasion. What? And family, family members had, had noticed bruises on her arms and asked her, you're, they're like, we know Harvey didn't do that to you. What is going on? And, and initially Valerie said, you know, you just bump into things. And they continue to press well, her. I do, I do agree with the bumping into things. Yeah. But finally, she admitted that, that Chris had physically assaulted her on more than one occasion. That he had wow. a very bad temper. And that is not okay. Do not hit your mama. Don't hit your mama. No, uh, I don't care who don't you are or what your problems your are. Don't lay hands on your mama. Don't. You can smack her. If you're eating something if good. If you're eating something good, that's it. But if you have a sister, you should hit her instead. Yeah, by proxy. So, um, they, the, a friend of hers said he told her that Chris needed help, you know, to get him some help, and, and Valerie said, we've tried, and he refuses to get any help. Let me tell you, he'd be camping outside in the woods then. Right. Get out of my house. Out of get my out house. Get out my house. You stupid mouse. So, I just want y'all to know. No, don't tell him. Briefly, that <laughs> my sister is licking... The mixer paddle to my all right, kitchen just, aid. Just so you know that I've already put all the stuff in the oven. It's all in the oven. That's not the point. Mm. The point is, she's not offered me a taste. Well, she has instead put her tongue all over uh, the mixer uh, so what? that I, in fact, cannot have a taste. And she's put water all in the bowl so I can't even taste no. the batter. I want you to be surprised. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you something, lady. Payback's a bitch. Listen, I'll lady. Get you. I'm going to get you, lady. Please continue with your murder. You're very distracted. Okay. So, Chris had assaulted his mom. Oh, man. So, now we've got Chris who fits. He's in his late 20s, early 30s. Oh, yeah. He he's, fits the profile. He never went to college. He only graduated from high school. I don't know why that's not a big important. Deal, but, whatever. Um, and he knew the operation of the pizza 
restaurant because he had been in there multiple times and at one point had worked in there. Yep. So here's the problem. Because he is the biological son of Valerie and Harvey, any of the DNA evidence that they oh, have isn't going to point to him because there won't be any way to differentiate no. between the DNA profile of his mom and dad. Damn. Right. So the only thing they can do is bring him back in and um, question him again, see if he'll break. Yeah. So knowing that they might be a little bit out of their league, the police department hires a professional interrogator. Oh, look at in. them. They've got that's that is badass. Yeah. They've got a defense attorney. I think that's my calling in life that I missed, but go ahead. They've got a defense attorney, the state police trooper, investigators sitting in another room watching through a window and they're recording the conversation that, that's going on with Chris. So he comes in or they call him back and say, Hey, can you come in and do you know, talk to us again. We think we might have some new leads. We have new information on your parents' case. So he says, yes, sure, I'll come down. Well, on the day of the interview, Chris calls and cancels. Oh, my gosh. Tells him that he doesn't have his driver's license. We'll come get you, fool. Therefore, he can't drive. Or, as they say on River Street, call a handsome. A handsome? Call a handsome. Detective follow that called a handsome. There you go. He sent someone over to pick Chris up, <laughs> and then Chris agreed, you know, to come in and sit down. During the interview, the interrogator points out there are a lot of inconsistencies in his story. One story specifically that, that was inconsistent is that Chris had said his parents were going to go to Gatlinburg to celebrate their anniversary Yeah. after they got off work the night of the murders. Well, when they questioned some of the townspeople... Townspeople? And that's a small town. Small town. So they, they actually talked to the dentist. In town, who was friends what does, with Harvey. Was it Nintis Nan? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you remember that Shel Silverstein poem called Nintis Nan? No. <laughs> it's Dentist Dan, but the guy doesn't have any teeth, so he calls him Nintis Nan. Okay. Okay. Dear God, please give her some sort of medication to help us get through this. Got it. So, um, anywho... The dentist had said that he and Harvey had planned to go fishing the following day. <laughs> so they say, hey, Chris, did you know your dad was supposed to go fishing with the dentist? But now you sh they should have And Chris saying. was like, oh, no, I didn't realize. I thought hey, they were going to get Hey, dumbass. Right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, no, I didn't realize. Right. So um, after a lot of questions and telling him about the inconsistencies, talking about the crime scene. Under his breath, almost in a whisper, Chris says it was an accident. Oh, God. I accidentally <gasps> beat my mother to death with a fire extinguisher and cut her throat. Oh, yeah. And I hate it when those happen. I, I, the accident, totally like, an accident. I mean, he's just, he just—he must have been an accident-prone kid because he was <laughs> constantly accidentally hitting his mama, too. Right. I didn't mean to hit her. Um and fight her and cut her throat. Oh my gosh. And what then a nasty kid. Almost took her head off with my knife. Yeah. That was an accident. Jackass. So anyway, he finally admits that he went to Pizza Plus on the night of the murders. He went to ask his mother for money to pay some court fines, explaining that if he didn't pay them, 
he would go to jail. I think he was going next door to buy some illegal items at the car wash. It sounds like that this Chris fellow might have gotten into some trouble with the law, mm -hmm. which might be why he doesn't have his driver's license. I mean... I mean, it's fine not to have your driver's license, but take not care if it's because shit. you did something wrong. Take care of your shit. It's not your parents' responsibility to take agree. care of your shit. Clean up your own mess. Agree. So his mom refused to give him money, and they got into an argument. He pulled his knife out and cut her throat. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Like, you go from arguing to slitting somebody's throat? There's yeah. nothing in between? No. They're fighting. I guess he goes to hit her. She's defending herself. He grabs her, cuts her throat. She falls to the ground. Just about that time, Harvey walks in because he had been getting rid of some ice or something out back. He walks in the back door, sees what's going on, and Chris grabs him and starts to choke him, and Harvey has a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. And falls out the back door. Harvey. Yeah. That's so awful. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I really hate this kid. I know. I mean, I'm not supposed to hate, but sorry, Lord. So, um, at that point... He leaves his dad, he goes back inside, grabs the fire extinguisher, and begins to beat her over the head to make sure she didn't get up, he said. Then he put the fire extinguisher back. I mean, how nice that he put it back on the wall. He didn't wipe it off. He didn't clean it. He just At put it back on the wall. At what point did he bludgeon his mother with that? So he cut her throat. She yeah. falls to the ground. The dad comes in. He chokes in. The dad has a heart attack. And then he goes... Then he comes back to the mother, grabs the fire extinguisher, and beats her because she's not dead from the cutting of the throat. She died from blunt force trauma. Like and then he, he went over to the dad and cut his throat. Then, then he goes and must have washed off his knife because there was some blood, a little bit of blood in the sink. Okay. Then he takes the mop from outside, mops the floor, and backs out the door. Okay. Cuts his dad's throat, hops in his truck, and drives away. Done. Well, I, oh, my God. He's, yeah. in, he's intolerable. So Chris stood to inherit $240,000 in life insurance. Wait a minute. What did you do? I didn't put any milk in. Is there milk in it? I don't know. Oh, my God. Hold on. Everybody just wait. So now we don't know what's happening. Maybe no, that's for the buttercream. I'm good. Oh, for heaven's sake. Lord have mercy, sugar. You're just so distracting today. I don't... So this is my fault. Yep. Okay. <laughs> anyway, he stood in here at $240,000 in life insurance. Which, to a kid, is a, lot a of lifetime money. Yep. of money. Um, in 2014, Chris Looney pled no contest to two counts of capital murder in exchange for two life sentences without the possibility of parole. Um, his, the family of both Harvey and Valerie did not want the death penalty in the case, which is why it's he... their kin. Right. Well, no, they're still very angry and upset. They don't... They just didn't... They just didn't want Didn't it. want to have the death penalty on their heads. That's a very tragic story. And that kid, I mean, ugh, that's just... You just can't. That's not okay. No. Kids that turn against hard. their family members, really, it's quite disturbing. It is, and it's so hard. I can't imagine being in a situation where I've let my grown son move back into my house and because he's falling on hard times, and he puts his hands on me or something. Yeah, can you imagine Harvey as he walks in and his grown son has 
already split the throat of his mom, comes over and starts to choke you. No wonder he had a heart attack. Right. He's like, what the hell is happening? Right. Right. And that kid is so stupid because he he thinks he's going to get away with it. Continues to live in their house, drives their car. Like he's so entitled. Right. Fuck. 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 That's what I'm saying. I'm saying fuck. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. I don't think so. Back it up. Back it up. Yeah, see, he'll be sitting in jail for the rest of his life. Good. I hope they... Hopefully. Hopefully. I hope nobody writes him letters and nobody sends him anything. No, you know there's going to be somebody out there. Yeah, because it's weird when when women marry the men in prison. Like, what is that? Like that, like Lacey Peterson's husband. Yeah. The lady that was so in love with him. That's disturbing. I don't understand that. Like, he's in jail. Oh, that was something different. No, no, no. I did, one of us did a murder. I can't remember which one it was. About a lady had actually gone to the jail and married the guy. And had his baby. I can't remember which one that was. We oh. may not have done that one yet. We may not have. Now we've tipped our hand and we can't do it. Uh, no, because I'm not giving any names. And I'm That's really true. You haven't. And I have no idea what you're talking about, so probably nobody else does it yet. But obviously you don't pay attention to me when I'm doing the murders. What's your name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who you are? Mm-hmm. Who there? <laughs> well, that was a crazy murder. It was. It was crazy. In so. Virginia, where I was born. Okay, stop rubbing that in. What? You wanted to be born in Virginia? Well, yeah, I was the only one in our family not born in Virginia. It's all good. You want to be different. I do. Hi, I'm different. I don't <laughs> even think I belong to y'all, so wait till I get my DNA done. No comment. Okay, maybe we're going to take a break real quick so that we can switch over and do my murder. All right, please hold. Please hold. Get a spot of tea. A spot of tea. Grab a biscuit. Grab a biscuit and a spot of tea. Go we'll be right back. Okay, so um, I'm ready for my murder. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, excuse me. I'm ready for my murder. Go do, do your murder. Okay, while you finish up the last little bit of the cake, she's going to dust some powdered sugar on the top of the cake, and then we're going to take a picture, and then we're going to eat that damn thing. Yeah. Okay, so this is um, a murder that happens in Anne Arundel County, Maryland, mm. and it's with the Swartz family. Schwartz? Yes. So um, Robert and Catherine also known as Bob and Kay Swartz, were upstanding citizens in their community. They were active in their local St. Mary's Catholic Church. Kay taught at a local high school. Bob was a computer technician, and he also was an anti-abortion activist, which he spent every Saturday morning picketing an abortion clinic. Wow. So um, they couldn't have children of their own, and they decided that they were going to adopt children so that they could bring help to kids with troubled backgrounds. That's very, that's very kind-hearted. I think so, too. I think so, too. So also a huge undertaking, I'm sure. Huge. So the first one, the first child that they adopted, his name is Larry. Larry. Yep. They adopt him at the age of six. And um, up until six years old, he had spent the majority of his life in several foster homes, um, but also on and off with his mom. So um, he had kind of a rough six years. Yeah. 
two years later, they adopted their second son, Michael. He was eight years old when they adopted him, so the boys at that time were about six months apart. Okay. Michael was six months older than Larry. Michael had also been in and out of foster homes. Um, he had been tagged as rebellious. Oh. And he actually was came into their house on a two-year probation period um, before the Swartzes were going to be able to officially adopt him. Okay. So he kind of came with some baggage, which I would imagine kids out of that lifestyle are going to come with. So um, Michael remains rebellious in their house, and uh, but the brother, the brothers. <laughs> it's because I'm thinking about butter. Butter, not butter. But the brothers, brothers were very bonded with each other. And Bob and Kay were big believers in academics and pushed their boys to excel. Michael was smart, he was a quick learner, and he became the favorite of the family. Really? Yes. And then his parents decided that they, he needed more of a challenge, so they had him jump from the second grade to the fourth grade. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what huge. the hell? I don't know. I don't even know why there's a school out there that would allow that. That's crazy. Yeah. Because so, um, it's not just about school smarts. It's about where you are socially I agree. in your development. Wow, well, so that the is change crazy. was not good for Michael. I'm sure. He still had the maturity of a second grader. Right. He didn't fit in. He became impulsive, disobedient, and angry. And his grades actually dropped. He didn't know, seem to know right from wrong. Wow. So that became a real bad situation. Right. So Larry was a poor student. He struggled with academics all of his life. They actually later on, well, I guess it took a couple years, but they had him tested for, and he was tested, and they confirmed that there was a learning disability there. So for a while, he was put into special ed classes where he performed above expectations. He was quiet, well-mannered, and because of his gentle nature, he soon became the favorite. Uh-oh. And Michael lost the status of favorite. Oh, man. So, as the boys hit their teens, there was some turbulence in the home, and Bob and Kay seemed overwhelmed with raising two teenage boys the same age. I can't imagine. <laughs> Oof. So, punishments were severe, even for small infractions. During family fights, Larry tended to try to be the peacemaker to restore calm, and Michael was just the, he was the instigator. He kept up the fight. He backtalked. He, he really kind of verbally tussled with them, and eventually, in order to gain control, the um, punishments and the verbal abuse from Kay and Bob became physically violent. Oh, no! Yeah, they were struggling. So, Michael took the brunt of the physical abuse, but Larry was served up plenty of psychological abuse. They were trying to hold Larry well away from going down the path of his brother. So, um, Larry eventually became obsessed with trying to keep the peace in the family and how to placate his family, his parents, and keep them happy. So, um, that's a really bad place to be when you're a teenage kid. Not only that, but did anybody ever stop to think, okay, we made a mistake. We need to hold him back a year. Michael? Uh -huh. I agree. I agree. There's a problem, but Better I know than as a parent. the crap out of them. But as a parent, you get wrapped around this academic axle, I think. I've seen it happen. 
and it's all about um, you somehow I think because and I'm just going to surmise from my feelings this is not written in fact anywhere but her being a teacher at a high school I think that there is some type of feather in your cap when you're a teacher and you've got this kid that's exceptional at grades and that you know you can kind of brag a little bit about how he's you know skipped several grades because he's so smart but it's really difficult then for that child to have to be held back because then it looks like you don't know what you're doing. I understand that, but even to the detriment of your child, you still keep up. Very sad. That parents keep up these appearances and they put a lot of pressure on academic pressure on their children, sometimes above what level that they are able to perform. Sure. So, anyway. Um, Admit, admit, amongst, oh, I'm having a hard time with my tongue. You are. You're so, tongue-tied. Amongst all of this turmoil, Bob and Kay do what just seems to be the most illogical thing in the world, and they decide it's time to adopt another child. Oh, no. Let's bring another one into the mix. Yes. So when the boys were about 13 years old, the Swartzes adopt Annie. Little Annie. Oh, no. They brought a girl in? Yeah, they did. She was a four-year-old from South Korea whose parents had abandoned her. She was a cutie pie, and she was very sweet-natured and quiet. So now she's the favorite. Oh, no. Yeah, we've got a lot of problems with favoritism. Yeah, we shouldn't do that with kids. No. And by now, the boys are heading to Broadneck High School where their mother teaches. Okay. One night, Michael sneaks out of the house against his parents' wishes to go hang out with some friends, and when he returned home at 10 o'clock, he had been locked out. 10 o'clock? I'm impressed. Yeah, 10 o'clock. Just saying, I look back at my childhood, I didn't ever sneak out, but I don't think I ever made a curfew, ever. Right. You would have been sleeping on the streets all the time. I would have. (laughs) I just set up a hammock in the backyard. Of course, back then we didn't lock our doors. That's true, we didn't. So, anyway, he knocked and he knocked and yelled and wanted to be let in. And eventually, Kay raised the window and told Michael he was no longer welcome there and he was no longer their son. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's extreme. I mean, that's extreme. How old is this kid now? Is he still in high school? He's in high school. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so the next day, Kay called Michael's social worker and reported that he had run away. And that they no longer wanted him in their home. (gasps) It's awful. So, Michael was given the choice between going to juvie, going to juvenile court, which would probably land him in a detention center, or trying out a new foster family. So, fearing being sent to the juvenile detention center, he decides to go to a new foster home and see if he can make it there. And now, the Swartzes officially disown him. So, Larry is very upset over losing his brother because they're very bonded. Um, they remained close and they talked on the phone almost every night. I don't really, I really don't want to come off as judgmental. And I'm really not being judgmental. Well, you might be. I'm not. But I'm we're not. human. And so, if we do judge, it's it's out of a place of ignorance and, and we mistakenly And judge. I think this is totally ignorance on my part, but could... Couldn't there have been another way to resolve the situation oh, and go from countless. you're locked out because you skipped curfew again for the 500th time I mean, to I don't want you to be o'clock. my son anymore? It wasn't 1 o'clock in the morning. I mean, sure, I just, but you realize I came in at 3 
3 a.m. one time and told Daddy and Mama I lost my gas cap, yes. and that's why I didn't make curfew. I'm and Daddy aware. said, "I lived in the house with you. I'm very aware of your shenanigans." And picked up your gas cap at 11 o'clock from the 7-Eleven gas station. What have you done for the last four hours? And I didn't have an answer. Right. But they never ever put me on the street and never said that they were going to disown me. Well, you're no longer my child. That's yes. No. I mean, I know that they were like, "You're embarrassing us," but they didn't disown me. Right. So I'm just saying. There were countless other ways to get around this, but Larry was bitter at his parents' um, treatment and disowning of his brother, and he also started to feel very insecure about his status in the family, because these people are showing him, one really? fault's moving, you're out of here. You're out. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. So, Larry continues to struggle with his grades, but he was a very popular kid at school. He was um, co-captain of the soccer team very popular with teachers and with students. He's funny, he's mild-mannered, he's laid back at school, like he really is. And they look at him as a good kid. Right. He's a good kid. He doesn't make the best grades, but somebody's got to make the grades that make everybody else look smart. I mean, I understand. So, um, but his parents became more and more critical of his socializing. Really? They felt like that it was a barrier to his academic success. So, let's go back to Michael. I've lost all faith in these people. Well, and but we can't shame the victims. I'm not shaming them. I'm just saying I've currently You're lost all faith. You're just saying shame on you. No. <laughs> I don't think there's any hope for these people to be parents. It, it does seem like a, it's a really bad situation all around. I mean, because I have to think that these parents were not malevolent. I think that they had good intentions. They just weren't handling things well. So... And they were feeling quite overwhelmed and then brought another child in. You know what? Let's just take one little tiny minute and God bless our mama. Just God bless you, mama. Mama, God bless Thank you. Thank you so much for not turning us out in the street. Don't turn me out. <laughs> don't, I'm so glad because I, I don't like to camp. <laughs> I, just, I can never. We wouldn't make it, mama. We wouldn't well, make I could it never make it if you didn't let me in the house because I don't like the outdoors too much. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a troubled kid and he makes some trouble at the foster home to the point that he became a ward of the state. Hmm. And the state decided he needed to be under psychiatric monitoring. So um, his resentment of the Swartzes does not waver. He is very upset with him. He is enraged. He is very angry all of the time. He acts out constantly and um, it's a bad situation. Right, I can imagine. So January 16th, 1984, is a typical night in the home of Kay and Bob. Bob. Kay is disapproving of Larry's new girlfriend and criticizing his tour grades. Bob accuses Larry of playing with his computer and erasing valuable files. So, typical so, night. Yep, typical night. Fight on top of fight on top of fight. Larry is 17 years old at this point. He's, he retires to his bedroom and then enjoys some rum that he had hidden under his bed. All right. What? I mean, kindred spirits. Right. <laughs> kindred spirits. Under the bed in a shoebox in your closet. Oh, my shoebox. My closet was full of beautiful shoeboxes, but my our housekeeper couldn't just figure out why all my shoes were on the floor if I still had all the shoeboxes. And then she opened it up, and each one of them had four pony beers turned exactly the right way so they fit perfectly in every shoe box. She completely messed up my beer filing system. 
Because she told mom. <laughs> Thank you, mama, for not putting me out. Woo. And then the, then the guy that was doing the yard found the six-pack of beer I had put in the drain in the cement drainage um, pipe underneath the driveway. But that kept it nice and cool right there. And so that guy messed me up. But still, they, they didn't turn me out. So anyway, Larry goes up and has a little drinky-poo in his room. And Annie goes to her room and just goes to bed early. So the next morning, around 7 a.m., there's a call to 911. The... Um, and it comes from the Anne Arundel home of the Swartzes. It's Larry, and he tells dispatch he thinks his parents are dead. Mm. So, when emergency workers arrive, they find Larry and Annie holding hands just inside the front door of the home, huddled together. They find Bob in the basement on the floor. He's covered in blood, and he has numerous slashings around his chest and arms. Oh, Bob. Then they find Kay's nude body in the snow, out by the pool. Oh, no. She's been partially scalped. <gasps> she has deep lacerations around her neck. Holy Moses. She's also posed in a very suggestive pose. Oh, no. Larry tells investigators that Annie had woken him up and when she couldn't find their parents. And so Larry goes down to the kitchen and sees Kay laying in the snow and called 911. So, at the scene, there's a trail of blood outside in the snow where Kay had been dragged through uh. the snow. They found a wooden mall. You know what a mall is? I know. I was like, what's a mall? So, I got to look that up. It's a long-handled, small-headed axe used for splitting wood. Okay. Okay. That's terrible news. It was covered with wet blood. Oh, no. And Kay, like I said, was nude except she had on one sock. They found some footprints around the scene where she had obviously already lost her clothing and just had the one sock on because it was like a barefoot and a sock foot. Oh. Right. So um, there was a bloody palm print on the glass patio door. And um, there were signs, like I said, that Kay had been wounded and then chased through the neighborhood. Through the neighborhood? And then caught and murdered and dragged back to where they found her. Oh, my gosh. Larry told detectives around 11.30, Annie had had a nightmare, and he told her just to go back to sleep, okay? Annie tells detectives that when she woke up around 11.30, she heard her father scream and saw a tall man with dark curly hair walking through the backyard carrying a bloody shovel. Oh. Yes. Detectives asked her if the man was as tall as Michael. And she said yes. Okay. Michael was over six feet tall and towered over Larry. Right. Okay. So now the focus becomes Michael. Right. Well, Michael has an alibi. Oh. He had been locked in his dorm room at Crownsville Hospital Center where he was being housed by the state under psychiatric monitoring at 11.15 that night. Records from the staff confirmed that he had, in fact, been locked in his dorm that evening. Okay. So now they're going to have to wait for the bloody palm print. So, it's Larry's palm print. Oh, oh, oh no, Larry. So he's arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder. And three days after the funeral of his parents, of Bob and Kay Swartz, he confesses to his attorney. He mm. said he just snapped. 
that he had had two tests that day, and when Kay had been, she was lounging about in her pajamas, and she asked him, how did you do on your test day? And he said, well, I did really well on one and not so good on another. And she made a really snide remark to him, and it really set him off. Wow. So he said he just snapped, and most of the night he watched the scene unfold from the ceiling, looking down on himself. Oh. So he was kind of having an out-of-body situ situation. So the judge stated that the case was possibly the most tragic in the county and maybe even in the state. He just thought this was such a tragedy that just it was like a, an unstoppable freight train. Right. Because of what was going on in the house. And he had a lot of compassion for Larry. So um, there was some psych psychological testing ordered, and it showed that he was just an average teen, but he really needed some professional help to cope with the tumultuous environment in which he lived. And there was still some trauma left over from when he, before he was adopted. Right. Because um, they found out that he had actually suffered a lot of abuse before he went to the Swartzes. Oh, gosh. And nobody had ever addressed that. So I guess in psychological discovery, it comes up. Right. And so he had never dealt with that. So Larry is sentenced to two 20-year sentences that run concurrently. Okay. That means they run at the same time. Wow. So, so he gets 20 years. He gets 20 years, but the judge suspends 12 from each of those sentences. So he gets eight years. Holy crap. And he is told that he will be serving that time at what's known as the Patuxent Institution in Jessup, Maryland. It's a correction unit housing the criminally insane. Here's this now 18-year kid that's going to go into this criminally insane unit. I mean, that's, that's got to be horrible. So he survives it. He's released in 1993. So um, he only served nine years total. For two murders. For two horrific murders. He moves to Florida. He, he gets married, has two kids. And then he dies of a heart attack at the age of 37 in 2004. Wow. Yeah. But Michael is the biggest loser because, I know. <laughs> really? Because it feels like Bob and Kay may, may have been the biggest losers. I mean, I mean, um, as far as the kids go. And what about the poor little girl? She gets re re At first, she gets moved over to the Eastern Shore to be with family. But still. And then after that, she's readopted. And, I, I mean, I, excuse me, Trout, this is my computer. <laughs> She's got two brothers that are assholes. One gets kicked out. The other one's hanging in. And then he murders both the parents. Then they send her to live with family members of this. Of Bob and Kay. Right. And then they decide they don't want her. No, she gets readopted so, and 
goes to live in Annapolis. I'm hoping that whoever readopted her treated her really, like a princess. And that she's gotten some major psychiatric care. Oh my god! Because this is traumatic. But I don't know because they didn't say anything else about Annie. So stop trying to take me down a rabbit hole. I'm not. I just wanted you to know that I don't think Michael's the biggest loser. Well, just listen to me and I'm going to say why. Okay. So, Larry's in prison. Okay. Annie's readopted. Okay. Michael at the age of 18, has nobody. Nobody. Okay. So, nobody stepped up and said, we'll take Michael too. They just left him on his own. Okay? And he continues, and he doesn't get psychiatric testing or treatment or nothing. So, he continues with his troubled life. And at the age of 25, he commits a murder during a robbery. He was robbing a man for a jar of coins. Nope. Yep. Quarters. Quarters. And he Quarters. murders him. Accidentally. But <laughs> it was an accidental murder. Oh my gosh. But Michael I keep hearing is about these accidents. Life without parole. They don't, there is no judge there with, for compassion. There's no judge there to say you grew up in a, in a really difficult situation. None of that. At this point, you're 25 years old. You murdered somebody for a jar of quarters. You're going to prison. Life without parole. I think that's a good sound judgment i mean i know it's a good judgment i'm not questioning the judgment i'm just sorry that michael it would be different there's no if happy he ending for him maybe it is a happy ending for him oh, because now he's so happy because now he has somebody oh he's got a lot of bodies yes not people that he needs to hang out with you and i don't see eye to eye it's better it's better than nobody that's true i ain't, ain't got, got nobody, nobody. Okay, so I'm not just singing my podcast. <laughs> so anyway, that's the end of my story. Oh, okay. but I do want to cite my sources. Please do not my sorsage. Your sources, <laughs> <laughs> not my breakfast sorsage. My sources. I used uh, some articles from the Washington Post, the Baltimore Sun, and this two websites. One's called ThoughtCo.com, and the other one is called Crazy Killers. Both with a K dot wordpress.com. Wow. I Look know. at that. You did a lot of research. Look at me with the research. Well research. done. Well I'm done. sorry, Virginia Reese is not here to know that I researched something. She's probably laughing at you right now. She's probably laughing right now. Saying if you would just put that much research into that um, stupid grapes of wrath <laughs> term paper that you wrote for me, then things <laughs> might have turned around in your life. It's okay. It's all good. God bless her soul. God bless you, Virginia Reese. Yes, absolutely. And Mama for not turning and us Mama out. And Mama for not turning us out. And me for being the middle child and growing up in just a ridiculous situation with these two heathens. Oh, please. Well, please. Please. So, anyway, that's my murder. But I did want to tell you one thing. Let's hear it. First of all, I want to thank everybody for listening. We're over the moon excited that we have finally launched and that people are actually listening to us. And nobody yet knock on wood, has disowned us. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Stay tuned. It's coming. So the other thing is, if anybody wants the recipe to my Victorian sponge, I mean sandwich, <laughs> so you can email us and we'll give you a recipe. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Miss Caitlin because she emailed us and she got two recipes from us. Thank you, Caitlin. Which means, A, I know she's listening, and B, she hungry. She hungry. <laughs> <laughs> she hungry, girl. So anyway, shout out to Caitlin. If anybody needs to or wants to 
Um, murder, not murder us. <laughs> don't murder oh, us. Oh gosh, please don't no, murder please. us. That's so bad. No, that's that's we just mean spirited. We really don't want any murder. No, and you need to get your words straight. I'm having a hard time today. Murder.sugarcoated at gmail.com. Yes, murder.sugarcoated at gmail.com. Yay! Yes. So, anyway, we hope that you all enjoy. Where's my cake? Oh, please, let me just give you a spot of cake. I need a spot of cake. Yes. Here um, we go. Please. Have a taste. Okay. Looks good. Oh, gosh. I can't wait. Oh, it's oh. very pretty. I did a good job. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. Mm, that is so good. That is so good. Lord have mercy. Oh my God. That and just so everybody knows, I don't use the I don't use the buttercream recipe that they give oh, on this. But the buttercream is so good. I use my own buttercream recipe. And if you want my buttercream recipe, you can email us and ask for it. I'm happy to share it with you. I've just been making buttercream for so long that I don't even use a recipe anymore, but I can write it down. Hey, guess what? Hmm. We also have a Facebook group. Oh my god, that's so true. You can join our Facebook group. Yes, and you can ask us for recipes on there. You can tell us um, what your favorite episodes are when you listen to them, what your favorite parts are, and you can let us know if you have a murder that's not a well-known murder that happened that you are not tied to, because I feel like that means you might be in jail. Please don't write us from prison. Please don't. Um, we will not open any jail mail. No jail mail. No, we'll put that through the shredder. But if you know of a murder that happened in your hometown or that somebody that you know murdered somebody or somebody got away with murder, let us know and we will do Oh, my God. That. Don't tell us about that one. Oh, um, yeah. Don't no. tell us about somebody that got away with murder. No, because then they'll scary. be upset with us when we talk about it. Yeah, because then they'll think we know. And then that they'll bring murder to us. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with whoever is listening, even if it's just mama, don't murder us. Don't do that. Don't do murder to us. It's not nice. No. So anyway, we're going to go. We're going to go. We're actually going to go and see our friend, Farmer Katie. Farmer Katie. We love Farmer Katie and her sweet little baby pygmy goats are oh, adorable. So sweet. So we're going to go. Y'all stay sweet. And I hope y'all have a great week. And we'll see you on the flip side. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.